helping families be happy. Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family love and relationships. I am your host, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familius Publishing to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. And now I'm absolutely thrilled to introduce today's guest, Kendall Smith, who will be talking with us about his new book, The Rookie Father. Welcome, Kendall. Thank you, Carl. I appreciate it and and glad to be here. So good to have you. So, The Rookie Father, tell me where this book came from. Aside from the publisher, Familius, where did it come from within you? So it was an interesting time. I was, um, I've written fiction before. I've written a couple novels, one being called Vault 2112, which is a thriller. And as my son was around a year and a half, two years old, I kind of had a moment of self-reflection about where I wanted to take my writing. And what I realized and advice I was given was that you should write what you know. And as I sat there with my son on my hands at 1 a.m. in the morning changing his diapers, I realized, you know, I've been really not experienced father because my parents divorced when I was young. Um, we had my father and I shared in a, 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 a strange relationship for years. And I just thought, you know, the advice I've garnered in my life and that I've learned from other dads and from friends, you know, there's, there was something there for a new dad who may not have had one himself growing up. And as I looked at the market, there was nothing that spoke to this audience, which is actually 19 million American men today. So I think that it's going to fill that, the book will help fill that niche, but provide a needed resource for advice and, and well-being. So your stats, I, that's a stunning stat that you just shared with me. 19 million mm-hmm. American males grow up without a dad. Yeah, it's interesting is when I was doing research for the book and really for the marketing behind the book, I had to justify the audience mm-hmm. for the publisher, for the world, and I dug into the census data. And that census data revealed that between 1990 and 2000, 25% of all families of children growing up in that era grew up without a, fa- a regular father figure in the household. And it's a result of... Um, the I'll call it the culture of divorce that kind of engulfed the nation in the 60s and 70s. It's persisted. And now that audience, those who grew up between 1990 and 2000, that audience size is 19 million men. That's that 25 percentile. So that's where that number comes from. And it's, it's anchored with census data. And that I think it validated my own efforts, but also the publisher's efforts, which I'm grateful for to consider the size of its audience that's not being reached. And when you say that, it gives me, you know, chills of sadness for children who grew up without, and you're talking about people who didn't have a father present in the household, it sounds like. And then I think of the many, many, many people on top of that who have a father physically present in the household, but not emotionally present in the household. Yep. Yeah, that's a valid point. And that's, yeah. I think there's the beauty of when you're back, I call it the baptism of fatherhood. And when you embrace your child for the first time and you realize your life has changed forever, you're responsible for another human being. Um, 
there, there's a moment of purity there where it's, you're really starting anew with the next, the next generation. And if you have the means and the will to course correct your behavior, your family's behavior and adapt healthier uh, habits to promote and embrace fatherhood and just promise yourself you, you can do better for your kids compared to how your father gave to you, even if it's on an emotional level, if it's something that's not significant, you will give, provide a better life for your child. And that's honorable. And that's probably more important than anything you could buy, purchase, or consume. I would have to agree with you. So um, absolutely. And I love how you said that, that you can course correct the family dynamics, the dynamics that you inherited, that perhaps your father inherited, that that intergenerational transmission, you're saying, I hear, that there is great honor in noticing what went wrong, not blaming someone, but noticing and saying, I'm going to do it differently. Yeah, and I think that it's incredibly rewarding when you get there and it takes some soul searching. You know, it takes, you have to build your own foundation of what needs to be course corrected. And honestly, I, I think 90% of it is if you grew up in a divorced household, stay married and you have to fight to do everything you can to preserve your marriage and strengthen it. So the book not only talks about a foundation for the father, but you know, how can you be a better husband and the best husband you can be? And that's mission critical when a child comes into the mix. And when that happens, um, there's little things you can do to just be there for your wife, be involved, be, be a responsible parent. You know, if your wife is breastfeeding and she's the only source of nourishment, then you got to pick up slack elsewhere. And if that's doing things you don't normally do, the laundry, the dishes, I don't care what it is, learn how to cook, do something to contribute and you'll give a, a, a your contributions will matter significantly because your wife is going to so appreciate it. And that section about how to be a better husband is, is in the book. And it's written in a way that's not lengthy, lethargic, it's quick hits and it's actionable. And that's the whole, that's the whole purpose of the book itself. And I really love that you included that piece about how to be a better husband, because if partners are their best selves within that relationship, the children naturally are, they, they flourish because they know that mom and dad are healthy and stable and they're not having to tend to that relationship while also trying to grow up. Yeah. And it's, it's the other factor, it's security. You know, the security and foundation that a child has um, to see his parents interact in a healthy manner, um, to have arguments and resolve them in a manner that's more befitting of normalcy and is just grounded. Um, I think all those things add up because your, your children will ultimately measure how they engage with the opposite sex or the same sex, whatever your spouse is or whatever your, um, whatever your nature is to, um, that'll be your, your, your playbook. So you, you'll be able to give them something more than what you had growing up. And I love that you brought up, it's so important, that piece about safety, because by a child seeing a mom and dad or dad and dad, mom and mom, right, talk to each other, 
and sort things out that it's normal to have disagreements but you're modeling for the child we can disagree but we can resolve it in a healthy way in a way that is real and many children don't grow up with that and so then of course they take those unhealthy habits into their adult relationships so you're helping new fathers or maybe fathers who are on their second third fourth child really have some quick actionable tips to follow yeah i modeled this book off um <clears throat> some earlier work that i read where you can tell self-help books by if they're written for men or women within the first 10 pages and uh, so many self-help books have this long premise of what you need to do why you need to do it how to go about that men don't respond to media that way they want to get in, they want to get the facts, they want to put it within their context and almost take ownership of it. And then, which often happens is they'll assume that that solution and assume that it's their own before they could actually do it. And it's this quirky thing in the male psyche that happens. But it's it also allows to give more content in a manner that um, is consumable. And like, for example, I'll give you two examples. One is there's one major rule or one thing you'll be hard to find on my book is you never want to use the word should. The word, sorry, the word should when you're um, giving advice to men, because then you sound like their mother. Absolutely. They, <laughs> dial, dial it out. And I would write these chapters. And if I saw the word should pop up, um, I would go and immediately try to rephrase that in a way that was um, more approachable. And that is a really important piece. Absolutely. You know, we don't really respond males or females to that shoulding principle. You should do that. Well, another example in, in section in the book that I think is the number one um, topic of stress in married families that have new children or young children um, or infants are in-laws and in-laws are a very very unique species um in terms of relationships conflict um lack of respect there's so many little things that happen there so i have about 25 chapters that are all one to three pages each and it talks about okay how do you manage the in-laws and it starts with one premise and that is you and your wife represent your family institution. It starts there and it goes outward. So for all the advice that your in-laws give you, for all the help they give you, which you should appreciate, at, at some point you and your wife make the decisions. And there are little diplomatic things you can do to the other side of the family that will be appreciated. There are certain guidelines that when you speak to or make a decision that runs counter to what your in-laws want, which will happen, you can always end your decision with the phrase, because that's what we think is best for junior. And you do it as a united front. And you almost have this little bubble of insulation and there's ways to protect yourself and maintain a stronger bond of marriage where you're, you're not gonna be attacked or you're not gonna break down inside with your side of the family. So, and there's also little things in there about in the book that win the holidays. And it's ironic that when you're an adult and you have children, 
your famous holidays growing up, either Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever, with the family were the most memorable times. And as an adult, it's stressful. You've like a lot of tension and expectations and there's things you can do with your time, with your relationships that can help make it more manageable. And that's what the, the book aims to do is, is to make, to take the, I don't want to call it stigma, but take the anxiety away um, when you bring a child into the world. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up the piece about the in-laws because personalities of certain in-laws aside, as long as you, as you very, you know, succinctly put it, as long as the parents have a united front, as long as they can agree that that family unit, that child within that family unit and each of the individuals, the parents as well, of course, that that is what matters most the stability of that new family unit and I love that you that you approached that directly because that will be for you know people who pick up your book and are able to really process it and embrace it it can be life-changing when you realize that that family unit yes you're grateful and appreciative to your parents and you know your extended family but this new family that's where the focus needs to be. Yeah, and the funny part is, out of all this, is some of the advice in the book I've gotten from my mother-in-law. Mm. So she said to us one night, your marriage is your institution. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is before Connor was born. And I'm like, she's explaining the concept to me. And it's so applicable. And she's such a wise woman. We, we call her the saint of the family. Um, and that I that is one of the cornerstones. I think I could say it's one of the most important aspects of the book is to get your hands head wrapped around it. Not what's my mom gonna think? What's my dad gonna think? Get their opinion and make a decision yourself. Absolutely, and that principle of the marriage being the institution. And absolutely. And it's interesting how some in-laws who have their own institutions right where they don't want to honor yours and I'm so glad that you were fortunate enough to have a mother-in-law who really understood that principle and reinforced it and brought it to you that's fabulous and you know for listeners to realize that we all have you know most of us have extended families and if they are not honoring that principle of the institution that's something for the husband and wife to really focus on strengthening so that they're not swayed by the outside forces, whatever they might be. Yeah. And the other, the other part of that is that when there's a schism in the family, you have to deal with your side of the family and your wife deals with their side of the family. And the two shall, shall never cross because if you do, you build a case for resentment and it just causes greater friction. So your wife has to be the best advocate for you and your family to her side and vice versa. And when that, happens and that's executed you dodge a lot of that you dodge a lot of arrows put it that way and that makes sense um because the issue that you're talking about that resentment piece being very clear that your values your code as a couple you know that really has to be the foundation for the family and that if outside forces whether you know in-laws you know whatever it is that the person who is most proximate to that does get to carry a little bit of the weight sometimes and then when when possible is that united front piece yeah and that yeah there it's, it's your get out of jail free card it really is 
it's if you want to enroll your child in a private school and your parents think you're crazy for doing it, it's like, well, okay, thank you for that opinion. This is what's best for junior. This is what's best for junior. And isn't that the truth? Because as a dad, you know, that's what the best, you know, the best parents want is really being able to step back and say, this is what's best for the child. Because that's what parenting is all about, being able to step back and see what's best for, for the child. Exactly. So wonderful. What are, so your book is, is out now? It is um, going to be released in January, but it is available for pre-order okay. on and Kindle, which is fantastic. So it will be released in early January 2022. And in the interim, there's plenty of content that I'm writing and referring to that touch on the father, um, on the rookie father, on the website, which is therookiefather.com. Therookiefather.com and the book. Now you can get it by pre-order. I mean, you can put in your order, but you will have it in your hands or the ability to have it in your hands in January, 2022. Exactly. What? Oh, it's going to be so fabulous and so life changing for so many families. And I can see, it sounds like you put it, when you say each chapter is one to three pages long, that's something a dad can read, you know, chunk by chunk by chunk. Yeah. I mean, the, the way I see it and the way I advise men to look at this, and what I tell readers at, at book fairs and bookstores and events, right, signing events is read that first section on your foundation and see what resonates. Um, address the skeletons in your closet, like get a, a feel for your history and what you're going to do differently. And then skip, skip around. If there's a section on um, the best family financial advice and just starting points on how to get your head wrapped around investing um, a lot of dads that are new uh, to fatherhood who are young, they do not benefit, even though it's changed significantly in terms of financial knowledge between um, our mothers and fathers, and it's more equal now. But getting a game plan for um, investing, for um, buying a home, for getting your, um, your financial budget, your family budget in order, because the cost of a child... <laughs> It's, uh, it's a doozy, um, but having a game plan in that first year of life helps. It's, it's strategic. And there's a section on your legacy. You know, what do you want to be remembered for? What are some ideas of how to do that? Um, there's another, other, another area that's part of that where if you look at, if you have a, 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 a schism in your family lineage with your dad, um, how can you extend the narrative beyond that? to include other folks in your family, your grandfather and uncle fought in World War II, whatever that may be, to provide some context and give a broader family history that your son or daughter can be proud of. So it's all these little areas that may not be relevant today, but maybe in a month it might be, or maybe there's something you need to dive deeper on, on how to be a better husband, for example. So it's made to be consumed and snacked almost. I absolutely love that in today's busy world, that's all the more important to be able to take it in bite-sized chunks. So it also sounds for me being, you know, a female and a mother that it's a book that would be really relevant for no, regardless of your gender. It sounds like it would be a book that anyone could pick up and really find a lot of helpful support. I think so. I mean, I 
for the single mom, for a wife, it could be a, a gift that a mother gives to his son who's expecting or a daughter that's expecting. Um, it's a little broader, but I also, I think it, it, it's, its anchor are just some basic common family principles. Um, back to the in-laws, the marriage, um, how to, how to um, care for your child in a manner that's not um, like overprotecting your house, uh, baby proofing, for example. Like, how do you manage that process? We get into that um, with common sense. So I could, yeah, we can make the case it could be for really any parent. Absolutely. That's, I, and honestly, stepping back, even into my role as a psychologist, seeing that sometimes even being able to see something more from a partner's perspective, particularly a partner, you know, of the, of the opposite sex or a different gender to be able to step back and say, oh, I didn't realize that this might be going. So it gives you a sense of appreciation. Even if every fact isn't relevant to a mom, it gives you an appreciation for what your husband might be going through or your yeah. partner. And there's, there's, yeah, it's, it's definitely true. And it's, I'll tell you one other thing of a chapter that I found particularly interesting just to address, which was my own little quirk, my own family history was when you do a, fam a conflict, you know, if you have an ongoing consistent annoyance from your spouse and you blow up and it's just a heated argument half the time, um, depending on how you approach them, if you have gone off the rails or got, raised your voice, you immediately put yourself in a position where you have to apologize for how you expressed yourself, which is so unhealthy so there's chapters devoted to conflict resolution. How do you approach a subject that might be a time bomb, but do it in a way that you express your feelings that can be understood, which is a great habit that I learned from my mother. Um, she actually got her master's in psychology. So I had always all tips growing up that she would lob at me um, or share with me. I'm like, this is way above my pay, like, way above my IQ at the moment. <laughs> What are we talking about here? Uh, empathetic communication, for example. Like, okay, what, what are you talking about? But it, it became very applicable when I got married. And um, I'm appreciative that I had those lessons when I was young. And, and, that so, be, and that's for any spouse to really, I think, absorb and think about how do you approach? How do you deal with it? Uh, deal with the conflict? Absolutely, because almost as we began the podcast talking about that as an important issue to be able to have healthy disagreements that don't go into fighting and tearing the relationship apart. And of course, the child's witnessing all of that. So, oh my goodness, well done you. I am so excited. It's going to be, it's going to be fabulous to have this in the hands of many, many parents. And so what are three maybe three other key takeaways that you'd like to share with listeners? I would say that um, number one would be that your role as a father, as a new father for the first time, it's, it's a new beginning. You can heal a lot of, um, of unseen wounds with how you approach fatherhood. And it's the most incredibly rewarding thing to have these moments with your child. It could be, a sense of wonder or surprise that it will broaden your horizons on family itself when you get there, uh, but you have to be committed to it. Secondly, I would say that you can't just focus on um, the care of the child. This book is not about 
how to care for an infant soup to nuts. There's plenty of books out there. Um, it's about getting your own head right, focusing a course and making sure you're being a good husband, um, tackling your career, tackling finances. I also didn't mention there's interviews in the book with some of the best people that I've met in my life that offered sage advice from different perspectives. Mm. Um, a stay-at-home dad, a uh, corporate executive and how he balanced work and family, um, those kind of things. So I think that will give some guidance and broaden um, one's perspective when they get involved in the book. And the last thing I think is, um, I guess the takeaway is just that it's, it's an approachable, the content is more approachable than not in terms of its, um, its accessibility and how it's com we communicate advice in a way that can be acted on quickly. And I really like that, that it's common sense and actionable and having both of those um, for, for anyone, but especially a busy parent, have it be simple, common sense, actionable. And, you know, going back to the piece, I love that you also say that it's about getting your head right. This isn't about, you know, how to change diapers, um, although it may be about how to change diapers differently, you know, in a more mindful, loving way, right? So that the child feels loved, because that's what I'm picking up from the book is the essence is really being a grounded, loving parent being present. But going back to the piece, you know, the, the, the takeaway you said where um, your role as a dad is a new beginning. So whether this is your first child or your third child um, or your fifth child, right, it's a new beginning. And I agree with you that if we take our relationships, parent to child, you know, parent to parent, if we take them seriously, we can absolutely heal some, some wounds that you know, were perpetrated by others before the child was born, whether it's a parent or somebody else. So I love that takeaway. It's wonderful. Thank wonderful. you. Yeah, I think it's, it's a, 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 the way I define it, it's, it's a playbook approach because you may not have, have a playbook yourself from not having a father. And it also, if you did have a father, you know, I encourage dads, for new dads to sit down with, with their parents and have an honest discussion about things that were missing in your life. It could be if the, your father was not affectionate at all. And to sit down with your dad and say, you know, let's talk about this. You know, I, I want to have a, a great relationship with my son and I want you to, but you know, tell me why you weren't, you know, a hugger like my mom growing up. Like wh where did that come from? And you'll learn something about your grandfather probably that set that emotion, but you provide yourself the means to course correct and do it in a manner that's thoughtful to other people in your family. Absolutely, and a way to build relationships. And I love that tool of curiosity. When you ask, rather than saying, you know, blaming someone, you are a horrible father, you didn't show me affection. It's so different when you shift it and say, you know, tell me more about that. I'm really curious. Where did that come from? And so you're just, how splendid, how splendid. So Kendall Smith, author of The Rookie Father, um, thank you so much for being with us today. It has been such a joy and a pleasure. Where can our listeners find you? Sure. So we have, uh, I have a blog that is constantly feeding you content. That's therookiefather.com. Uh, 
same nomenclature on Facebook. You'll find the Rookie Father Facebook page or on Twitter. And then my Gmail, the Gmail we have that is specifically for this book content and whatnot is um, the Rookie Father at gmail.com. Excellent. Right. I welcome all listeners and, and uh, future readers to dial in, contact me. I'm an open book. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and the spelling on Kendall's name is K-E-N-D-A-L-L Smith, S-M-I-T-H. And again, you can find him at um, The Rookie Father. So thank you. And thank you to our listeners. As we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius Publishing for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. If you'd like more wonderful Familius content, be sure to visit us at Familius.com, where you will find our Habit Hub blog, as well as a spectacular selection of books for families. One step at a time, we can make the world a happier place. Thank you for sharing your time with me, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It's been a joy and a true pleasure. Be well and shine as only you can do. We talk together. Together, play, work, eat. Together, we laugh. Together, heal. Together, and we.